Welcome to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. This week on the podcast, we have Joey Davila. He is the accordion guy from the internet. He's also talking about RFID. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Three, two, one, Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. This week, I'm really excited to have Joey DeVilla. He's a blogging hero of mine. I think I've been reading you, Joey, for... Has it been like 20 years? Is it possible? Uh, no, not at quite. Least, but, at least uh, most this, of the 2000s. Yeah, this uh, this November will be my 15th blog anniversary. Okay. <laughs> That's beautiful. So now you're a technology evangelist for SmartTrack. But uh, as I said, you've always been a blogging hero of mine. So it's a, it's an honor to have you on. And um, and why don't you tell us what you're working on now, what SmartTrack is, and then we can get right into the uh, the, the reason why the future is going to be pretty cool. Okay. SmartTrack is a Dutch RFID uh, tag and inlay and chip manufacturing company. What uh, they do, actually just tags and inlays, but what they do is they make these RFID uh, tags and inlays that you are seeing increasingly on everything. So for instance, uh, the RFID tag that is in your passport was more than likely made by SmartTrack. Oh, okay. Um, okay. A bunch of our uh, when you chip your pet, a lot of those RFID systems are made by SmartTrack, and uh, the company is now expanding into the medical and retail fields and into software. So what we're doing, and um, this is the part of the company I'm representing, is uh, we are uh, building a software platform that lets you work with RFID tags. So computers and other information systems and the Internet of Things can easily interact with anything that has been tagged with an RFID sticker or tag or relay. We're basically making the world readable by our uh, by present and future intelligent machines. So you're basically creating that, the, yeah. So it's like it's like the new it's the Antichrist because that's basically the tagging whole system and everything, right? <laughs> Ah, yeah. You mean the mark of the beast? No, <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. what it means. <laughs> basically, what it means is that we're giving computers way more senses. Okay. Because they know how. Uh, because they know how to interact with these things. I mean, right now, for the most part, until until we started putting sensors in smartphones, uh, the urinal at the airport was more aware of your presence <laughs> than your desktop computer, right? Because it knew when you walked away. Oh, time to flush. Yep. Wow. Okay. So that, so that's so so it's it's more it's less mark of the beast and more uh you can wear your Apple Watch uh close to your computer and it starts communicating and says all right let's try to unlock this thing right. Yeah. Basically, what it is is it's making computers and information systems more aware uh more aware of the world and it's making objects in the world uh more visible uh, more visible and relatable to computers. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's very cool. So I wanted to I want to get back to that that those, that point because I think that's going to be an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, the use of RFID 
and uh, NFC communications uh, in devices. But let's let's talk briefly about what we were talking about earlier. The idea that the that your your cohort, the kids that you grew up with, uh, you're from you're from Canada, uh, Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. So the yeah, kids that Toronto, you grew up Canada. with were really really into the '60s, and they thought the '60s was the was they they thought they missed out because they're not living in the '60s anymore. But what you said is that you they they, they you weren't born too late; you were born too soon. Yeah, that's right. So I was a teenager in the '80s. And um, at the time, in the 80s, there was a lot of uh, what uh, author Douglas Coupland called legislated nostalgia, mm-hmm. where um, people my age, who were teenagers at the time, were feeling, uh, uh, were feeling that they missed out by not being uh, teenagers in the 60s. So they were nostalgic for their parents' uh, their parents' time, and they were going, all the really good stuff happened in the 60s, all the good music uh, social movements, that kind of thing, art, that all happened in the sixties. And these were eighties kids, you know, just like me. But on the other hand, I was going, no, no. Uh, while they were saying they were born 20 years too late, I kept thinking, you know, I was born 20 years too soon. Uh, I want, uh, you know, I'd rather be in the future. I think that that's where the interesting stuff is going to be. And um, you, you even get a little bit of that today, what with all the 80s nostalgia going on. You know, mm-hmm. some of it's pretty interesting, like the TV show Stranger Things. But uh, uh, I still keep thinking that, you know what, uh, despite um, despite the fear and paranoia about the future, and there always has been fear and paranoia about the future, I'm pretty optimistic about it. And I think, yeah, the future is a, be- uh, a f- the future is a better place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- I'm kind of optimistic that way. That's probably why I got into technology in the first place. Interesting. So the, so this whole idea that, that nostalgia is, would you argue that nostalgia might be pernicious in some way? Is that, is it encourage conservatism to a degree? Because I mean, if you're really dedicated to the sixties, you really kind of you kind of ignore uh, anything that was built after that, and that could be anything from from I don't know, uh, cool in the gang to uh, to I don't know, um, just general just general feelings about the world. If you're dedicated yourself to the '60s culturally, what does that mean about you as a person in the in the present day? Well, uh, in the case of '80s kids being nostalgic. Uh, for the 60s, you know, at least in the circles I was hanging around in. And you have to remember that uh, this is Toronto, which uh, is probably best loosely described as the New York of Canada. Um, (laughs) And uh, this was the, you know, this is the 80s. We like to call it the the Cleveland of Canada. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, yeah, if it had a LeBron, maybe. But uh, anyways, um, you have to remember that this was the uh, this, this was the Reagan era. This was also the era of um, you know the Doomsday Clock and movies like The Day After. And if you watch the Brit- the even scarier British version, Threats, mm-hmm. you know there was this threat of there uh, there was this threat of a nuclear war. And uh, at the same time, you know there was this uh, there there was this new. Um, new pervasive sort of conservatism, even amongst young kids, like uh, who was a TV hero at the time, but uh, Michael J. Fox as Alex P. Keaton, mm-hmm. the conservative, you know, the conservative child of flower children in the, in one of the most popular sitcoms at the time, Family Ties. 
So, um, you know, uh, some of that nostalgia may have just simply been a counter reaction to the, uh, the, the new school conservatism of that era. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's a lot of times, uh, a lot of times that's what nostalgia is. It's just kind of, uh, it, it's a reaction to, it's a reaction to the present day where you're going, you know what, uh, there are certain things of about the present that I don't particularly like, but I do remember, or you know, I've had, I've heard stories about this, these halcyon days of the past, which were, which were better. And uh, you know, that's the way you remember. Uh, that's the way people remember things. Sometimes uh, there's a common phenomenon where people go back to their childhood home and they look at the backyard and they go, "Wow." I remember this place being a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that sort of thing where you you, you tend to view the past with ro uh, with rose colored lenses. Okay, but what is that? Okay. What does that mean for us as as humans? Do we need to go back in that way? Do we? Is it is it comforting, especially in uh, in I guess times of change? So I think the the interesting thing about the Alex P. Keaton thing is that there was a whole. That that was the that was the era of the little guy getting one over on the yuppie, basically. Uh, basically, all the John Candy movies were like that, and any any musical montage of the nineteen eighties featured <laughs> featured a scrappy band of misfits uh, getting it over on the guys who wear sweaters around their shoulders. Uh, so we're in a so. What was it about the eighties that really that really caused people to fight back against uh, against that sort of conservatism and try to be scrappy and try to be weird? Uh, and I guess why isn't it happening today since we're kind of have the same kind of situation, right? I think. Well, um, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the rebellion in the eighties was, uh, was actually strangely enough <laughs> derived from, uh, the, rev uh, you know, the social and cultural revolutions of the sixties and seventies. That's when, uh, you, uh, by the time you have the eighties, um, you have, you hit the 80s. You've got 30 years worth from the 50s to the 80s. You've got about 30 years worth of um, the concept of a teenager, mm -hmm. which is a relatively new cultural thing. I mean, the closest, I mean, basically, you're either a child, uh, you know, if you go back uh, in most literature, you're either a child and then you're an adult. And there's no, uh, there was no transitional phase in between. Mm-hmm. I think the closest thing was uh, uh, was the classic Russian novel, The Adolescent. But beyond that, really, there um, most literature just has this uh, this this little dividing, this very clear black and white dividing line that says, "Okay, you're a child here, and after a certain point, you're an adult." There is no, there was no transition where you're trying to figure yourself out. You're trying to make sense of the world. You are answering the question, "Who am I?" Mm -hmm. And um, with, you know, in the post-World War II era with the baby boomers and, um, and, and the prosperity that came with it, there was suddenly this room, uh, this room between childhood and adulthood where you were beginning to figure things out. And, uh, you know, it's natural as part of carving your own identity to rebel. And you've got, you have cultural phenomenon like uh the movie rebel without a cause mm -hmm. and then, you know and and then the 60s counterculture and then yeah you've got the 80s all these te 
uh, this blooming of teen coming of age movies, uh, you know, some of the best examples, you know, of which were made by good old John Hughes, yep. uh, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of it, yeah, was, you know, the scrappy, the scrappy, freaky, uh, slightly, slightly out of touch person as the hero and the establishment uh, as the enemy uh, painted particularly well in Pretty in Pink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then there, then you had, uh, then you had the outright, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the sale of the human, <laughs> the human spirit in uh, Can't Buy Me Love. That was a good one as well. Ah, right. yeah, the with McSteamy. <laughs> I can't remember. Was it McSteamy or McDreamy? It was. It was, I, it was McDreamy. So it was McDreamy. It was McDreamy. That's that's like that's one of the few. Uh, it's one of the few <laughs> movies that he was in back in those days. All right. Yeah. So that's that's actually that's that's a, that's a interesting culture thing. I mean, I wonder. And I'm and I'm hearing this in like modern music now. So so a lot of the music that we're hearing, um, Francis and the Lights, for example, and the new Bon Bon Iver is. They have a very eighties. Um, they have a very eighties attitude, and they're trying to. And it's a very, it's very manufactured music, just like a lot of eighties music was. Uh, but I think they're mm -hmm. trying to glitch it out and make it sound different uh, for this new generation. And and one of the some of the tools that they're using, I think it's called the. Um, uh, oh gosh, there's there's a new tool that Bonnie Vera is using to sort of glitch everything and to and to and to essentially uh, make a prism out of the out of the sound. I wish I, I wish I had it in front of me, but but if you listen to the new album, that's what he's essentially doing. So it sounds like an '80s song. It sounds like Debbie Gibson that's been run through a, 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 a shredder, which is fascinating. Okay, so well, I, I mean, people have been doing that, you know, and it's kind of weird for me to reference the '60s, but mm -hmm. uh, there was a point. Uh, there's a point where uh, Jimi Hendrix was recording in the studio. And the engineer stopped recording at one point and said, "Hey, uh, Jimmy, uh, we 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 have to fix a few things for a moment because we're getting a ridiculous amount of feedback and distortion <laughs> from you, <laughs> not realizing that that's what he was going for." Yeah, but at you at know? the time, was he was that what he was going for? Was that what what was it? What does it take for the human mind? Uh, the 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 standard blues chords. Uh, that that that's that. Uh, those standard blues chords sounded massively uh, unattractive, uh, just as they were coming into popularity. So it it took it took years for the human ear to start to appreciate like rock and roll because it was just so it was just so chaotic. And the same kind yeah, of thing chaotic. is there too. Okay, chaotic and jarring, but you know the same thing happens. Uh, the same thing happens with every generation uh, with music. Like I'm pretty sure at one point, uh, I do remember a bunch of friends complaining about, you know, too too many synthesizers in music, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I was a synth player, and I said, no, 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 this is great. <laughs> you know, they're trying, yeah, they're, they're they're trying to add they're trying to add new sounds, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, at one point, uh, back in 1989, when, um, an unknown band called Nine Inch Nails burst on the scene, you know, some people were going, ah, oh, this sounds a bit too weird for me, but, you know, by 2016 standards, <laughs> uh, that first album, Pretty Hate Machine is pretty, is pretty tame. Yeah. Yeah. If you listen to it now, it sounds like, it sounds like, uh, Tony Bennett, but back then it was, uh, it was like a blender, uh, exploding. 
Oh yeah, yeah, no, com- yeah, completely mind blowing, mm-hmm. and it's 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 the same thing with uh, you, you know certain kinds of electronic music today. You know, I mean, there's a, there, there's a meme going around that uh, you know it's an older meme now, but uh, the inve- uh, about the invention of dubstep with mm-hmm. uh, and it shows a picture of a cat playing with one of those springy door <laughs> door stops. <laughs> and now and now you dubstep's know, it, in uh, in Taylor Swift. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be all it's always going to be that way. And actually, I kind of I kind of feel a bit of a warm glow when I hear somebody my age now talking, talking to their kids going, that's not music, that's noise, (laughs) because that's exactly what they're supposed to say. That is that is the spirit of rock and roll. Okay, so I I, I love this. I love talking culture with you because it's because you have you have a musical background as well, which is which is great. But let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the RFID, the NFC stuff that you're working on. What do our what what can we do uh, with that stuff that we aren't doing yet? What do you think that you're that the folks that you're working for are going to be able to do with that? Well, a good chunk of the problem with uh, with computers today is that there's still this giant gap of getting information into the computer really quickly like Mm -hmm. uh um even just the matter uh even just the matter of getting somebody's email address or phone number is still uh you know still for most of us a matter of opening up the contacts application in you know on our device and then typing in the name and typing in the email address and typing in the phone number it's uh, it's that it's a major barrier to getting that information into the computer or onto our devices, and um, that prevents us from using them to their uh, maximum potential. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, purposes of RFID tags is to uh, is to basically eliminate that barrier. Like instead, wouldn't it be nice if our devices could simply look at something and go, oh, yeah, I know what that is, so I know how to communicate with it, or, oh, I'd better, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. I'm going to put their uh, I'm going to put their contact info in the contact, so mm-hmm. it's very easy to communicate with that person next time. That's the idea. That's basically the idea behind, um, uh, behind uh, making, the world, uh, making the world more accessible to our devices and machines using things like RFID tags, I mean, it is also the same problem that barcodes try to solve. It's also the same problem that, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, computer, smart computer vision is trying to solve. It's all about, it's all about making our computers, our machine, the machines we rely on less dumb and more aware of the world. So I guess the, I guess one of the questions there, like my, my vision for future interfaces, for example, is sort of a uh, oral interface that a u r a l that yeah. sits in your ear and tells you that that something is happening. Uh, I walk by you and it says, "Oh, that's Joe. You know him. You've talked to him for you talked to him a few times already." Uh, do you want me to remind you to send him an email later or something like that? That sort of thing. Because what I believe the Valley is trying desperately to do is to get get us off of our phones they don't know it but that's essentially what they're trying to do because they realize that they're destroying their lives and the lives of their children by making us look at phones all the time mm-hmm. um so something like an rfid would sort of be the the sixth sense that we can have uh and if we translate it correctly we can walk by something and have that have that interaction happen instantaneously right 
Yeah, that's the idea. It's making the world recognizable to um, recognizable to our machines so that they can respond appropriately. So we're uh, so smart. Uh, yeah, the company I work for is basically taking care of the first part, the sensory part. Mm -hmm. There is another half to it, and uh, we're doing a we're doing a little bit of that because we're developing cloud software to help uh, machines uh, interact and make sense of these uh, uh, of the data coming from the RFID tags, and that's the smarts bit. So the intelligence to know what to do with it, and that's an interesting challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, how you you basically what's what's the maximum amount of information you can pass in that way? Just a, just a ballpark. What is what is that what does that packet look like, and what will it look like over the next couple of years? Well, uh, totally depends on the uh, RFI. Uh, depends on the chip technology that's inside an RFID tag. Um, I think the outside uh, the outside limit for data right now is something like uh, is something like eight K. Mm -hmm. But that is a lot of text. But even the smallest RFID chip, you know, which holds only enough information to maybe store a couple hundred characters, that's enough for um, a GUID, a globally unique identifier, you know, that can be passed along to a cloud-based system that can go, okay, what does that... That globally unique identifier would be a fingerprint for a unique fingerprint for something. What does that fingerprint correspond to? Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, it's uh, it, it's this per, it's this person's car, or oh, it's a part on this person's car, or you know, any other thing that you may want to identify. Hmm. And then after that, you know, once you've identified these things, once you positively identify these things, then you can start looking in the cloud and look for things like. Uh, look for how these things interact with each other how are they related to each other what other metadata is attached to uh these things so, and that's where the smarts and comes so to a degree all all you really need is just a is just a few dozen characters to really identify something and then then the goal would be to have all the smarts in the back end so this is so so most are so mo most systems in this in this arena are are fairly dumb uh yeah, by design, really, because you don't want you don't want your your car part to to be have a battery in it that you have to replace. Yeah, exactly. But um, you know, and most uh, well, the interesting thing is that yeah, some RFID systems require a battery, and that's that's mostly not to power the chip, but to give its radio extra range. Mm -hmm. So uh, the RFID system in uh, Easy Pass, you know, if you drive on toll roads. Has mm -hmm. a battery back. Uh, many of them have battery back systems so that they can be sensed, you know, from uh, from a couple hundred yards. So it's easy for the uh, traffic toll system to register your car and go, okay, yeah, you took this exit, charge your account this much. Mm -hmm. But most RFID chips are pretty short range. Uh, you know, we're talking a few inches, uh, a few inches to a few meters. And they just simply rely on the power of the radio wave being broadcast at them by the RFID reader. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. And, you know, they're, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the afterlife, Nikola Tesla is going, yes, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, so what's next for you? You're, you're in a, you're hanging out, you're hanging out in the RF or uh, the RFID world, but what's the, uh, what are you doing uh, in terms of music and, and, and where can people find some of the stuff that you've been working on? Okay. Well, in terms of music, actually, it may be overlapped with my job. Um, 
my boss is actually currently petitioning the powers that be the company to issue me a company accordion. Of course. Yeah, which is great. This will, this will be the first time in my employment history. I've been provided company laptops before sure, sure, and but... other, company, <laughs> other company equipment. In fact, yeah, when, when I worked at Microsoft, I had one laptop per limb, but nobody has ever issued me a company accordion before. This is... This is brave. This is strange new territory. Yeah, this is this is really the future. I think that I think there's an entire there's an entire dedicated uh, post that we can uh, we can do about this. That, the idea of everyone, <laughs> yeah. you know, what in the future everyone gets is famous for 15 minutes and everyone gets a recording. Yeah, everybody get everybody gets an accordion, and you know, maybe a smart accordion packed with a uh, you know with uh, RFID technology, mm -hmm. sensor bundles, processing power, that kind of thing. But uh, so, um, yeah, definitely, definitely more music making. And uh, what I really need to do, you know, I, I, um, I, I've been kind of lax at it is uh, post more accordion videos on my blog mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and just record more songs. I think I, I'm going to get to be able to do that as part of this new job. I'm only three weeks in right now and sure. we are still working out what, you know, what technical evangelism means for this particular company and it's an it's in an interesting phase smart track is making the leap from industrial native to digital native mm -hmm. so you know for for since since about 2000 they have been in the hardware business manufacturing rfid tags and uh, now as is the trend with a bunch of other, with a bunch of companies uh, they've decided, you know what, things work better if we manufacture both the hardware and the software that interacts with mm -hmm. it. And you're seeing this all over the place. I mean, uh, Apple's been preaching it for years, but now Google with Pixel is getting into it. And Microsoft with, you know, the surprisingly stunning uh, demos that they showed this week are also saying, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's better if we it's better if we make the entire stack. Mm -hmm. And uh, it. You know, and I don't think SmartTrack is the only company that's that's decided to do this as well. Uh, it it it's going to be interesting down the road as people just uh, as people and companies go. Yeah, you know what we are. Uh, so it, it, it's you just can't make software or hardware in a vacuum. You have to make uh, you you have to make them as a complete set because mm -hmm. work because things work better that way and. Um, you, you know, uh, one of the interesting things is what's it going? Uh, wh what will this mean for? What will this mean for the future of people with uh, people with ideas? The interesting thing is that you know, with software, uh, you can go to Best Buy, even buy the cheapest possible computer that they have, and crank out software. Now that the, now that there's this this move towards making integrated software and hardware, how do uh, how do people just starting out come up with a new idea? Uh, come up with a new idea and create the next best best thing in their garage? Yeah, well, I mean, to a degree, we have we have open source hardware now, and that's one of the that's one of the cool things about living in the future that we're living in. Eight uh, in the eighties, we were sitting there thinking, I just I distinctly remember this. You'd go down to Radio Shack or whatever, and you get some parts, but the parts were mm -hmm. unless unless you had a really deep understanding of electronics. Uh, or even a passing understanding of electronics, the parts were essentially useless. I like I made a I made a security system for my bike with little uh, with little relays and stuff, and it was so simple that it was it was basically just a circuit. But now with a Raspberry Pi, I could I could three D print a case. I can attach the Raspberry Pi to my bike. 
I can write some software that's gonna that's gonna run my uh, run my <laughs> it's gonna call me when it gets stolen and track it, and it's and it's all entirely feasible for somebody between I don't know eleven and eighteen to really get a cool education in, in electronics, which is what I really I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. so, and I'd like to see and yeah, definitely like to see more of it. Yeah, I I have I have to you know I have to break out a soldering iron and play. Play, uh, play with the hardware aspect of my Raspberry Pi, but yeah, the interesting challenge now is that now you've got to now you've got to build up two skill sets. Exactly. Programming, which is changing like crazy, and thankfully, you know, thankfully, electronics is is fairly stable. Ohm, uh, it's like it's not like they're going, oh, Ohm's law is passe. Now you have to use. <laughs> Now you have to use Node Ohm's law or Angular Ohm's law. Like JavaScript has changed so much, but thankfully, electronics. <laughs> yeah, for electronics us, remains rooted <laughs> in the in the world of physics. For us old guys, uh, looking at Node.js and all that other stuff is kind of it's kind of uh, confusing. But I think I think we'll get it at some point. So so people can find you on joydevilla.com. Uh, yeah, D-E-V-I-L-L-A.com. -L -L now that's the personal blog. Yeah. Uh, so it's not to bore my non-technical readers. Mm -hmm. I put all my technical content on my technical blog, which is globalnerdy.com. Globalnerdy.com. All right, perfect. Yeah. So Joey, it's a real honor. Uh, it's great to have you on here. I, I'm, this is it was this was it was fun to talk about culture and uh, and the the mark of the beast. So that was uh, we really got everything in on on this on this <laughs> event. All right, so Joey, why don't you play us out this uh, this episode? I think I'm. Uh, it's going to be really exciting to to have an, a live accordion on on the show. All right, let me just get set up here. <laughs> This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We'll see you next week.